Greetings, scholars, and welcome to Following the Gong, a podcast of the Shire Honors College at Penn State. Following the Gong takes you inside conversations with our scholar alumni to hear their stories so you can gain career and life advice and expand your professional network. You can hear the true breadth of how scholar alumni have gone on to shape the world after they ran the gong and graduated with honors and learn from their experiences so you can use their insights in your own journey. This show is proudly sponsored by the Scholar Alumni Society, a constituent group of the Penn State Alumni Association. I'm your host, Sean Goheen, class of 2011 and college staff member. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. Kathy Hill, class of 1990, is a division vice president for Macy's Incorporated in New York, New York. She leads multiple locations in the NYC area, including the Herald Square flagship. She has held successively senior leadership roles at Macy's since 2005, and prior to that, the May Department Stores company since graduation. She earned a BS in marketing with honors from Penn State Smeal College Business in 1990. In this special bite-sized Thanksgiving week episode, just in time for the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade, you'll get insight into choosing a major that's the right fit, adjusting to University Park from a small town, the value of joining a Greek letter organization as a scholar, the value beyond the degree itself and moving from entry level to leader, skills that can be gained from working in and running a retail operation, the value of failing fast, being innovative, and reflecting on those failures, how to assemble, motivate, and lead large teams, the changing retail landscape, getting into retail from a variety of majors and not just the most obvious ones, transferring retail skills and experiences to other industries, collaboration and strategic planning, finding balance in a 24-7 world, and the importance of building a professional network while in college and seeking mentors and guides. Just a quick editor's note before we begin, Kathy recorded from her office in New York City and you'll hear emergency response vehicle sirens in the background of Kathy's insights during the early part of this episode. And with that, let's hear Kathy's story following the gong. Kathy, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Um, I'm really excited to have this conversation. I think there's a lot of stories about retail constantly changing through COVID, through developments in technology. And I'm really looking forward to sharing with our students a little bit more of an insight into working in retail leadership. But before I give too much away, if you could just share briefly a little bit of an overview in you know regular terms, what you do for a living. Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, my name's Kathy, and I'm a leader for Macy's Department Stores Company. We um, are people that I think a lot of times people think that we sell things to people. We help people buy things. But I would tell you that I, I believe that we help people feel things or confident or generous or any one of a myriad of things. But we are the people that get to do that. So it's an industry that's filled with, with joy and service. Um, but it's also an exciting industry to be in. You said in your, your lead up that it's always changing. It is always changing. It's not for the faint of heart. Um, you need to be analytical and you need to be a risk taker. And you have to be a people person, all rolled into one package. And sometimes that left brain, right brain combination is unique. But when you have it, it can be incredibly rewarding. Um, for me, I am currently in the stores organization for Macy's. I am the leader for many locations here in New York City, where I am today. Um, I'm also the leader for Macy's Herald Square, our flagship. Fantastic. 
So I'm curious, were you always looking to go into retail? Did you come into Penn State wanting to do this? Or was this something that you discovered while you were here? Definitely something I discovered while I was at Penn State. I didn't really know a lot about retail. Um, I went to Penn State uh, thinking that I was going to graduate with a degree in math. And I, I had coursework headed that direction for the first couple of semesters. And then as your advisors start talking to you about different career paths you can take, I actually didn't, didn't seem like I was going to enjoy any of the things that were presented to me. So I started picking their brains and I started meeting with a lot of people and picking their brains about what my options were. I think I came in not knowing what types of options I had and in meeting a lot of people and getting to know them. Um, and then also finding a degree that I thought all of my credits would transfer over to. I ended up graduating with a degree in marketing um, because it had a pretty general broad background. So I could apply to do a lot of different things. Um, and then word on the street when I was an undergrad was that the retail interviews were pretty difficult. And I thought it would be really good practice for me to have really tough interviews and then I'd get good at it. Um, but I got really excited about the job as I kept going through the uh, interview process and uh, I landed in retail and I've been doing it ever since um, I started right out of school, which was a long time ago. I think that is a, an immediate piece of great advice of kind of tackling the challenges early in the in that career search by looking at what are the tough interviews and going down that path. So, so Kathy, I know in the prep materials that you provided, you said you're hometown that you grew up in, everybody could fit in your flagship store in lower Manhattan. So how did you adjust to the Penn State environment, which presumably would have been bigger than your small town? And what advice do you have for students who are coming to University Park specifically from that type of hometown environment? Sure. It's a great question. Yeah. The, um, the, the uh, flagship here in Herald Square actually employs more people than lived in the town I grew up in. So you can imagine that when I you know, was uh, dropped off at school on that very first day, I was super excited to be there. And then when my parents left and I realized I was all by myself for the, likely the first time in my, in my life, um, 17 years old. And, you know, you have, I don't know anybody. Um, I was scared and I thought, gosh, you know, I'm supposed to be an adult. I'm supposed to be this adult person having this adult experience. And I have this pit in my stomach like it's my first time at camp, maybe. Um, but I think the number one thing you can do is just run headlong into it and introduce yourself to people and try a lot of things. This is your opportunity to figure out who you are. And the person I was that first day is not the person I was the next year or the following year or the year that I graduated or am today. And that all came from trying different things on for size and, you know, reaching out to different groups and joining different organizations and just really immersing yourself in everything Penn State has to offer. It's one of the beauties of going to school there is you get to try so many things so you can figure out what really speaks to you. Can you tell us uh, what some of those opportunities that uh, you were able to take advantage of? Uh, one of our tenants in the mission statement is creating opportunities for leadership and civic engagement. So how were you able to achieve that um, that mission tenant through some of those clubs? Sure. I, I tried a variety of different clubs when I was a freshman and I, I did a lot of like, like athletic clubs too. Like I tried to learn a lot of different like sports and that, and, and just so you know, I'm terrible at all of them, um, which it actually made it kind of fun because I had no pressure because I knew I was never going to be good at it, but I met a lot of great people. 
Um, I participated in Sorority Rush when I was a sophomore and uh, joined a sorority. And um, to be honest with you, my six best friends in, in my entire world, I met on at Penn State and they're still my best friends to this day. Um, and through the sorority, I actually was a Panhellenic de delegate. So I got to try my you know, kind of social, political, uh, strategic skills um, as an undergrad. And then, you know, different organizations within the scholars program itself, there was different um, groups you could be a part of, different interests, um, just being in Atherton Hall. You know, you could walk around just the area outside of Atherton Hall and there's a million different conversations going on. And what's great is just wandering over and saying, I couldn't help but hear everybody was so welcoming and saying, oh my gosh, come join, sit and talk with us. Um, you know, growing up where I did, I, I often felt sometimes that I didn't quite fit in. And the beauty of the scholars program at Penn State is you find your people, whatever those people are. I would be curious to know what advice specifically you might have for a scholar who is considering joining the Greek community, joining a fraternity or sorority. Obviously, there's a lot of heavy demands of being in one of those organizations, and there's a lot of demands academically for being a scholar. So how did you balance that? And what, what uh, did you learn that you could share with a student considering um, those opportunities? Yeah, you know, um, I think you have to do what's right for you. And and going to campus, like I thought I was going to be that person who was never in a Greek organization. Um, I, I think I secretly judged them before I went there. Um, and it was the one of the best experiences I ever had. And I think the advice I would give is that gives you the opportunity to practice balance between those social demands and those academic demands and having oftentimes different groups of people who want different things from you at the same time. So you had to be incredibly planful and very strategic about how you're going to spend your time. You had to learn when to say yes and when to say not yet or, 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 you know, later, or I can't today, but could you, you know, do it next week? And those are skills that you take with you for life because that those are skills that is going to make you successful no matter what career path you pursue. 100%. I would agree with that. And obviously one of the demands that you had as part of that experience was writing a thesis and I'd love to know, do you recall your thesis and how that impacted, especially your early career, um, the experience of doing research and, you know, putting out an original product um, as an undergraduate? For sure. I'll never forget it. Um, it's a life changer. And, you know, just thinking about approaching the thesis, I'll be honest, I was a little intimidated at the beginning because um, it seems like a lot. And, uh, and, and honestly, not even writing it so much, but figuring out what I was going to write about intimidated me more than anything because I wanted it to be meaningful and I wanted it to have impact. Um, and then I actually wrote my thesis with a partner. Um, my friend Kelly and I wrote our thesis together. And at the time that had never been done before. It was unheard of. We didn't do that. You did an independent thesis. So we had to go and present a, a pitch, if you will, to the scholars committee on why us writing a joint thesis would be not just beneficial um, to us, but to them and to the university because of the topic that we wrote it on. It was actually marketing the performing arts on campus. It was a treatise on um, services marketing versus product marketing. Um, and we did it as a benefit to the organization on campus. But we, you know, our pitch pretty much was you're not going to get double the output. We're going to give you like triple to quad the output which is why at this point, like one plus one is going to equal three or four, not just two. To win the argument to write our thesis together was victory in and of itself. And I think it gave us a little bit of courage to, to go headfirst into that thesis. But doing the research, 
you know, pulling that all together, putting that project together and delivering something that we were really proud of, that is an experience you take with you forever because it doesn't just give you the competency, it gives you the courage and it gives you a little bit of experience um, for what it feels like to put your name on something and to put a stake in the ground on something and really own it. Um, when it's not just something academic, it's actually something practical. Were you able to use that as you transitioned into your uh, full-time career after graduation? Um, you know, I when I graduated from Penn State from the Scholars Program, you know, at first I thought, like, here I am, I'm, I'm a kid with a degree, um, and I have some sort of academic learning. And what I realized was um, I actually left with the ability to continue to learn. And I learned how to solve problems and to think and to contribute. I learned resilience um, on the campus. You know, it's a big place and you have to find your way. Social skills. I learned how to forge a path and leave an impact. So that took me from a kid with a degree to somebody who's a doer. And then you get to move from a doer to a contributor and a contributor to a strategist and a developer of other people. And that thesis is what started it all because it gives you a little bit of practical experience to put you on the right path so much more quickly than a lot of other people that you're going to be out there competing against. I think that is spot on. And I really like the kind of the rundown that you just gave there of those different roles. So I'm wondering if you can tell us, kind of, you know, summarize your career trajectory from kind of entry level to the senior executive role that you are currently in and kind of how you got from, you know, ground floor to C-suite. Yeah, sure. I um, I started out in an executive development program, um, which was great, you know, super competitive. And they put you through your paces and not everybody makes it out of the program. Um, I look at my class picture now and I, I think like, oh gosh, there's two of us left out of 30 people. Um, and what you end up doing is you're, um, you're a trainee and then in retail, you are an assistant buyer. And Back in that time, there were individual company offices. So you flipped back and forth between the centralized office, the corporate side, and the store side. Nowadays, that's more unlikely because most things are national-based, and certainly that's the case for my organization. Um, but then that's what you did. So I moved you know, up the ladder rather quickly and uh, became a buyer. Then I went and worked in our store side of the organization. And then you kind of have to figure out what you love to do. And I love not being in an office. And while I loved being a buyer and loved that side of it, I love being able to take those math skills and those analytical skills and wrap my hands right around that business, right on the front line and the people that drive it. Um, So I became a store manager. I ran a variety of different stores, starting with small, going up to very large. And then I became a division leader where you have multiple stores. I then held a corporate role here in New York City. Um, and then when this division opened up with the flagship and the stores here in New York, I couldn't wait to uh, get back over to that store side and take all the learnings I had on the corporate side and apply them again um, to this position. So you're leading the stores in New York City, the flagship for a national brand that we're hopefully all familiar with. Um, when did you start in the role that you're in currently? I've been in the role I'm in currently for four years now. Okay. So about two of those years have been anything but normal, but <laughs> could you tell us what it was like before COVID in those first two years of normal? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've never seen anything like this building and this store, and uh, it was a little overwhelming. Like, if you can imagine, this building sees over 20 million footsteps in customer traffic a year, 
in a normal circumstance. Um, just having that velocity of the business is, is overwhelming physically, you know, with what you can see. But think about the amount of volume that we do. And while I'm certainly not able to share that volume, you can just imagine that it's very large. So if you start thinking about the amount of, of dollars that are you know, in your hands that you're leading for not just the company, but for our investors, because we're a publicly traded company, and for the thousands of people who, who count on this place as a, as a way to make a living, you have a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. So you said you have over 20 million footsteps tracking into your store every year, pre-COVID, and... Obviously, that is probably a massive undertaking. And you talked about being a buyer and there's supply chain issues. You have a facility that you manage. So can you talk about some of the different skills that you've had to develop in order to run uh, such a mammoth organization within a mammoth organization? Yeah, happily. Um, You know, I think that you have to have the ability to be a strategic leader. There's always going to be a push-pull, no matter what career you go into, between the urgent and the important. And the urgent sometimes feels very important, and you have to be able to discern the difference between the two. So I think, you know, coming into such a large operation and discerning between what is what feels urgent and then what is actually important in the running of the business. The other thing you have to realize is what your unique role is. I have four store managers here in this building. I have lots of senior director partners that own different support functions of the building. You have to trust your team to do their job and that allows you to do your job. And then you have to make sure you're not trying to do their job for them. And that applies to any role you're in, no matter what it is. Like what is the role you own that you have the singular Um, ability to contribute. And you have to do that really, really well. The other thing you have to do is have exceptional communication skills. When you have the size of an organization and the scope of responsibility and team, you have to make sure that not just you are communicating, but the people around you are constantly sharing information, both directions, um, and then reflecting back on what works and what doesn't work and being really honest about that. Um, I think we're an organization that is not afraid of failure. Uh, but we like to fail fast. (laughs) And as long as we don't repeat that failure, we're great. But if you're afraid to try new things or try something different, you're going to die because you're never, ever going to break out of common. And you're certainly going to get caught up in yesterday or last year. And that isn't good for any industry. You have to be able to grow and evolve. So being able to reflect back, decide quickly what worked and didn't work, and then not be afraid to take a risk moving forward. Those are really, I think, the recipes for success, not just for this place, but for any career a scholar would choose external to their time um, in undergrad. Sounds like you have a very large team that you oversee. And obviously our scholars are going on to leadership roles um, like yourself. So how do you go about, you know, maybe channel the Avengers here, but how do you assemble that team? Uh, What do you look for? How do you motivate them? Yeah, I think the first thing that, you know, I would do joining any team is to observe Um, kind of what you see and what you hear and to get to know your team as people, you know, people work for people. And I think you have to get to know people on that personal level. So you understand what the person is about, what the team is about, what your role is, how you fit in, because you can't help them if you haven't earned their trust And, and trust is something you earn over time. And if you don't have it, people will do what you ask them to do for the short term, but it is not a long term winning strategy. So getting to know them, earning their trust, and then being vulnerable in front of your team is important too. Sharing your objectives and your vision and asking for input on that and you know, incorporating as much as you can from the team's input into what you have to offer is certainly um, a great way to drive the team. 
and then finding out what their ambitions are. You know, one of the things that people always asks me are, you know, what are you most proud of or what are your greatest success stories? My greatest successes are the people that I've helped achieve their dreams. Like that's my legacy. When I look back, I want to see this, you know, myriad of people who said, you know, you know, she was a great coach to me and she was a great partner to me. That comes no matter whether you're entry level or at the height or pinnacle of your career, the contribution you make to the team that you're on and the organization you're a part of, that is a legacy that you leave. So being conscious of that from the beginning, I think is really important. And it's a great way to really solidify your place in the team, whether you're on it or leading it. So obviously, you know, you graduated a little bit back and things have changed different. There are different pieces in the retail equation. Obviously, e-commerce or e-tail is a big part of the world going forward, especially post-COVID. Um, but there's still certainly a really strong place for in-person retail. Um, so how can students who are interested in getting into retail start doing that? And kind of the flip side is, what are some skills or majors that are really helpful for you as a division leader that those majors may not think of retail as a career path? Sure. Um, Shauna, you were very delicate and darling at uh, looking at that question, but um, I graduated 30 years ago <laughs> um, and it's changed dramatically since then. Um, all of, I, it, to this day, I'm, I'm ashamed to tell you that I print things out. Like, don't tell. I know you're all rolling your eyes right now and thinking just like my mother. Um, but uh, I still print things out. But retail has changed so much. And being an omni-channel retailer, I think, is what it's all about. So customers don't shop in one um, track or one channel. They occasionally shop online. They occasionally shop in store. You know, sometimes they're going to want to shop online and pick it up in store. Sometimes they want to come in store and have a full experience. Our role as the omni-channel retailer of now and of the future is to just meet that customer wherever they are. So we have to offer them a variety of options so that they are able to um, pursue whatever track or channel they want to pursue. So, you know, what I really love about Macy's as an organization is we're very nimble and we are not afraid to take the necessary actions to stay current in an ever-changing retail dynamic. What that does for um, someone with a, a degree is allows you to have a variety of degrees and still have a place in the retail industry. So my degree is in marketing. I have many partners on my hallway here who have degrees in political science, criminal justice, history, art. Um, social skills help you if you're going to be on the people side of retail. But I will tell you, they also help you no matter where you go, because ultimately you work with people. But the other degrees that we have a lot of, of people here looking at is think about all the technology behind all of our e-commerce websites. Think about the logistics of, of trucking goods across the country and from all over the globe. Think about the processes in place needed to make, you know, um, expenses lower and profits higher and make sure that we're spending our money really wisely. Think about the finance that goes into an industry that is a multi-billion dollar organization. There's buyers who, you know, oftentimes either have a degree in fashion or economics. It runs the gamut. So we are a microcosm of any type of large organization. And there's a variety of skill sets that could be applicable here. I think that's great for students to hear because obviously you're going to think of your kind of most obvious ones like supply chain, accounting, finance, like you said, but that's great to hear that there's a place for, you said, history and art and of these other uh, majors that you might not think of, 
but are actually really valuable to your team. So I would encourage you, if you're a scholar in a liberal arts major or in the College of Arts and Architecture, to consider, you know, think broader on what you can do with your degree, especially if you have that with honors from the Schreier Honors College attached to it. You've probably worked with a lot of people over your career. Um, and some of them, I'm sure, are still Macy's and have been lifers, but I'm sure others, whether colleagues or direct reports, have moved on to other roles. Do you know of any kind of industries that they may have gone on to post-retail? Every industry that you can imagine people have gone on to post-retail. So if you think about what we just discussed with the variety of degrees, retail gives you the opportunity to, A, learn how to run a business top to bottom but you really get an education in how to assess and solve problems. doesn't matter if you're applying it to retail or any other industry. You have the ability to have a great deal of responsibility, particularly at a very young age, and you are able to manage and handle that type of responsibility and pressure, to be honest, and apply that to any industry that you go in. The social skills that you develop, very important and enable you to kind of distinguish yourself um, across any other industry. And while I have stayed in retail um, for many years, I want to take a minute to tell you why. At the beginning of our time here, we talked about the variety of different jobs I've had, and they have run the gamut from all of it. I feel like I've done so many different jobs because they're all available in this organization and in this industry. And at Macy's in particular, we believe in lattice assignments. So you just add tools to your tool belt. So every two or three years, I'm in a new role. So I, I don't have to leave my company to do that. And we pay for performance. So, you know, as I keep getting the opportunity to learn and grow, and I keep having the ability to achieve and to contribute at a higher level, gosh, that's just such a recipe for a happy worker and, and somebody who loves what they do and is proud of the organization that they're with. The other thing that I would offer to the group is um, Macy's as an organization is heavily invested in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, you know, it's one thing to work for an organization who gives you such a broad background and the opportunity to contribute and to feel great about your contribution. And, and we certainly do that. But we are a company that I am really, really proud of, and I'm proud to represent us. And, and I know our senior leadership well, and the people that we are surrounded with here believe heavily with all of their hearts and their heads in the ability that everybody has the opportunity to grow here and to contribute. And having, you know, inclusion in our company is really important. That is, you know, it runs the gamut across anything you can think of. And that includes majors too. You know, every voice matters. And having that different um, opinion or idea offered at, at the table is important to us and it's what makes us strong. That is great to hear. And kind of another word that comes to mind when you hear inclusion and you might not think of in the retail space is collaboration. And I would be curious for your take on how you collaborate both internally within Macy's and are there opportunities to collaborate with even say competitors? Absolutely. I think collaboration is a win for any organization and it's certain, some, certainly something that we are um, very prideful about at Macy's. We have multiple um, avenues for cross-functional partnership, um, and we actually teach our leaders to look for opportunities to invite differing points of view or different opinions into meetings to make the meeting not just more engaging and interesting, but to make a solution that is far more robust than anyone would have created on their own. 
Um, I can give you just an example of this week. We have a we had a meeting thinking through some operational aspects, and I invited my visual partner to the meeting because she has a point of view and a, and a way of thinking that is so different than the other people in the room that she adds, you know, innumerable contributions um, that no one else would have would have created. We teach our leaders to seek those opportunities out to add those voices. I will also tell you that I have five very dear friends here in the city. And they are the leaders of our five chief competitors here in the city. Um, the pandemic has given us an opportunity to not just be peers, but to be collaborators and to be partners and to be neighbors and now to be friends. And, you know, it's a really great opportunity to constantly look for those ways to join organizations about things that you're interested in so that you build those collaborative networks um, either in your industry or in um, adjacent industries or tangential industries. I think that's a word that we are sorely lacking in a lot of the discourse right now is neighbors. You know, how can we work with folks that we think might be a competitor? So that's great to hear that you're working with those folks and probably sharing best practices because this is uncharted turf that we are in regardless of industry. So finding out what works and obviously there's some proprietary things that you probably can't share, but there's ways to help each other out and high tides lift all boats. I'd be curious also, kind of the last retail specific question I have for you, and hopefully this is also something that can be applied to a lot of other industries as well for students listening, is retail is a fairly seasonal element to it, and there's a lot of planning involved. So how do you balance the ups and downs throughout the year and plan for um, the known waves in the cycle? We are incredibly strategic around planning, and my team here on the ground is planning how we will execute holiday now, but we've had the strategy for holiday for quite some time, and we're also beginning to think about what we're going to do to surprise and delight our customers in, in 22 and 23 at this point. So I, you know, we've got both that long-range strategic vision and then short-term um, view of what's going to happen. You said it yourself, it's uncharted territory. The other thing that I think we do really well is we leave that room for flexibility in the plan because while we're going to get a lot of things right, there are some things that we're not going to foresee uh, correctly. So we just have to be um, agile enough to see it in the moment and then to adapt the strategy around it. Going back to a comment you made earlier in the conversation, just being able to fail and fail fast um, and embracing that because we all make mistakes you know, there's going to be the hot product that you think is going to be hot and it's not or vice versa. Something comes out of nowhere and it is the thing. And, you know, how do you <laughs> how do you work with your suppliers to get that on shelves and into customers hands? So last Macy specific question, your your company has probably one of the more unique marketing avenues in all of corporate America, which, of course, is the Thanksgiving parade. Do you have any connection to that? program um, or any favorite memories that you can share um, in connection to an American tradition? Yeah, I would love to. Um, the Parade and uh, Branded Entertainment Group here in the company is just an amazing group of talented, creative individuals. And, and please know we are so proud that that is our gift to the country and to the nation. 
And uh, certainly we are uh, help facilitate that. We are good collaborators and partners with them on, on all of those types of events. But uh, I'm the business side and there. I would never even pretend to be as creative as that wonderful team is. Um, but I will tell you that my family participates in the parade every year. My boys have been on floats and this year my oldest will be a clown. Um, and it's just something that we all love giving to um, not just the city, but to the country as our gift, because honestly, you know, our, our customers and our communities are everything to us and anything that we can do to bring that joy to them. And, and just as a thank you for being a part of it is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I think the parade is just a great thing. And, you know, it's cool to hear that, you know, how the operational and the business side, the retail side is supporting that and collaborating internally. But you mentioned that you have some you have sons and obviously you're a senior executive at this premier brand. So how do you at least try to achieve any semblance of work life balance throughout your career? Has it ebbed and flowed? Is it better now? Is it, you know, what advice do you have for students who've grown up in this era where that's a term that we use on the regular? Balance is hard. And anybody who says that it's easy, I think is either um, maybe not being honest with themselves or maybe they're just not very good at it. <laughs> but balance is tricky and it, it, it certainly has peaks and valleys and there are times I'm better at it than others. I think being planful is incredibly important and you have to plan not just your work life, but your personal life. And you have to get those vacations in and get those things that are important to you in on that calendar. And you're going to work that work schedule around it. You know, we work 24 seven now. So, you know, there's, there's really not downtime. And I, I think that's true in any industry, but trying to get on the calendar is one thing. The other thing that I would offer is whatever you're doing, be present. Don't try to do one thing and then multitask and do another. And I know that's really easy to do. And I'm guilty myself for sure, but try to be present. So when I'm at work, I'm working. When I'm with my children, I'm with my children. And if I like, I'm, I'm going on vacation. And if I know I'm going to do work while I'm on vacation and not because I'm asked to, because I wish to but I will carve out time to do that. And then I will put it away and I will be present for the rest of the time. And I, I think I had a, it was hard for me to learn that lesson, but I think it's a really good one to do. And as long as you can compartmentalize it down that much, it's great. And the other thing is you have people around you that can help you ask for that help and let them help you and be prepared to give it back, you know, and, and, and build that, that collective that can work together um, to make sure that everybody gets to achieve that work-life balance. Yes, I think it, it definitely is a bit of a team effort at times and give and take, right? You know, if you're going on vacation, you need to trust the store to your team. And if one of them is taking vacation, somebody else steps up to help those things that have to keep going. And so I think that is really, really good advice for our students um, to think ahead, plan ahead and, um, you know, manage the exceptions when they come up, right? That's right. That's right. Um is there anything that I haven't asked about that you think would be really helpful for a student listening to um, integrate into their experience? Yeah. Um, you know, the only thing that I could think of that might be helpful is a lot of times people ask me what the biggest mistake was I ever made. And, you know, my, my flip response to that is always like today or <laughs> yesterday or this week. Like I make a bazillion mistakes every day of my life. And um, I used to be ashamed by that. And it took me a little while to realize that mistakes mean you're learning and trying and growing new things. And when I look back, the only regrets that I have are the things I didn't do, not the things I did. And the biggest mistakes I've ever made are the best stories I have to share. 
there. Those stories are so awful. They're amazing. And they're the ones that offer great advice. And I don't regret any of them. They're actually a badge of honor. So, you know, I think the best advice I would give is, you know, um, I tell my team all the time, be a hero or go down in a blaze of glory. But for God's sake, stand for something. Put a stake in the ground. You know, just try something, anything, and don't be afraid to take that calculated risk. Those are the only things I regret are the time where I should have taken that risk or should have raised my hand and didn't. Um, so, you know, if, if all of the Schreier students or alumni still could, you know, find that courage that sometimes I didn't have, that would make me feel really happy. So you've had, you know, a, an amazing career. You had a great time as a scholar. Are there any folks from your Penn State University Scholar Days that you would like to give any kind of shout out to? Well, as we said earlier, um, I graduated 30 years ago uh, and it it goes really fast. I don't feel like it was 30 years ago. Like inside, I don't feel as old as I am. Um, But the the woman that I wrote my thesis with, Kelly Kreiser, is an amazing human being, an amazing leader, and she's still in the education industry. And uh, she's just a tremendous person. So Kelly... Um, if you're listening, you know, thanks for being a tremendous partner and a role model and inspiration for intellectual women all over the globe. Is there a final piece of advice that you would like to leave our Schreier scholars off with today? I wish that I would have spent more time building a network around me. And I didn't learn to do that until I was more developed in my career. I was so busy doing and leading my team and trying to learn and grow that I forgot to take a breath and kind of reach out to my peers and to reach out to somebody who maybe could have could have mentored me or helped me along the way. And I take such pride in being a mentor to dozens of people now. It's one of my favorite things that I get to do. If, if I could go back and do it over again, I would have raised my hand and asked somebody to be a mentor to me or to be a guide or, or give me advice. So I think that is the one piece of advice I would leave the team with is find those people that you think could help you along the way and give them a chance to do just that. You could not have teed me up any better because that is amazing advice. And if a student wanted to reach out to you um, as a follow-up to this conversation, dig a little bit deeper, potentially see if you might mentor them, even just one conversation, how can they reach out and connect with you? Sure. I'm on LinkedIn. It's Kathy Hilt on LinkedIn. And uh, I would happily help anybody who needs it. And even if I don't know exactly how to help you, I would always listen. Um, Or I would find you somebody that could. Uh, So please don't hesitate to reach out. Perfect. That is fantastic. Thank you, Kathy. And as is tradition here, the final question. If you were a flavor of Berkey Creamery ice cream, (laughs) which would you be? And most importantly, as a scholar alum, why that flavor? Well, when I looked at the flavors of what I would most be, I think I would be death by chocolate. Gotta tell you, like it's super intense, right? But you know, you love it all while you enjoy it. Uh, Obviously a very popular flavor, but that's a really good answer and a great way to wrap up our conversation here today. Kathy, thank you so much for your time, your insight on retail and all of your advice for our Schreier Scholars. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. So proud to be a member. Thank you, scholars, for listening and learning with us today. We hope you will take something with you that will contribute to how you 
shape the world. This show proudly supports the Schreier Honors College Emergency Fund, benefiting scholars experiencing unexpected financial hardship. You can make a difference at raise.psu.edu forward slash Schreier. Please be sure to hit the relevant subscribe, like, or follow button on whichever platform you are engaging with us on today. You can follow the college on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn to stay up to date on news, events, and deadlines. If you have questions about the show or are a Scholar alum who'd like to join us as a guest here on Following the Gone, please connect with me at scholaralumni at psu.edu. Until next time, please stay well, and we are... 